From American Salon Magazine and .com, I'm Gordon Miller, and this is American Salon Stories, our weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. Today's guest is a renowned colorist and Redken educator. His skills, artistry, and knowledge in the hair color arena are sought after around the world. Home base when working with his A-list clientele is at the iconic Lakari Cutler Salon in Manhattan. He's a super smart, extra nice guy and a, and a really good dresser. And for all those reasons, my mom would adore him. Welcome to the American Salon Podcast, our good friend, David Stanko. Hello, Gordon. Thank you. What a lovely introduction. Thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. And I'm serious when I say mom would love you. You've got, you've got, you hit all the markers for, for many a mom. So uh, again, we're, we're pleased to have you here. We're pleased always to have you as a, a regular contributor to American Salon and AmericanSalon.com over the years. Always fun to spend time with you. So David, tell us about a day in the life of David Stanko today. You, you live a crazy fast-paced life and career. Career. Tell us about it. Well, so Gordon, my schedule is pretty varied and uh, I like it that way. I've just come off the road from Chicago, San Francisco, Oklahoma. I'm heading to New Jersey, Connecticut, and Mexico soon to uh, launch a new product for Redkin. So between traveling, it's salon time for me. And I work at Lakari Cutler with uh, Louis Lakari and Rodney Cutler. And I'm there two or three times a week. And we just took on a new location on 55th and 5th Avenue. It's sort of a boutique brand in the Domenico Vaca building, who's an Italian designer. So I split my time between the two locations and always sort of um, pet projects coming up, whether it's hair color development, it's uh, L'Oreal calling and asking me to be on a color panel. Uh, it's all about hair color for me. It's really, I've taken a spin into more fashion, more more runway behind the scenes stuff and interviewing. That was a long winded for sort of what my daily looks like. <laughs> so, well, you got a lot going on, you know, certainly. You're well known for your, your really, your commitment to hair color. So tell us how that happened in your life. You know, what, what's the backstory for you and hair color? Well, I, I have always found it fascinating. Uh, I've been in the beauty business for 31 years. I've had an association with Redken for 21 years. And all the while, I maintained a clientele behind the book. I started out a long time ago. I worked for a small Italian hair color company, got my feet wet, got to travel, meet a lot of people. And in the salon, I started assisting and then moving into both cutting and coloring, but then more of a focus on hair color. I found it fascinating that some of the wealthier socialites I worked with in Pittsburgh really did know their own hair color. And I would sometimes take and add a cap or two of a Miss Clairol shade and just see what that would do to the formula. And I, I can guarantee you that, you know, Natalie Goldman, she knew when something was wrong. And uh, I thought it was fascinating, the subtlety and the nuance that color could provide, the how quickly a result could be achieved, and how it could really transform a woman's mood her personality and impact uh, skin tone. Eyes look brighter. Uh, blouses look different on her. It's a very powerful tool. And, you know, listening to you um, um, kind of makes me think about 
some of the differences we see in, in those who succeed in hair color versus those who may succeed in, in other parts of the profession. Um, I always think about the, the analytical mind and, and more the, the left brain versus the right brain. There's a tremendous amount of creativity in hair color, obviously, but it feels like when I meet you successful colorists, you know, that you, you're kind of geeky about the stuff and, and you tend to break things down a little bit differently than hair cutters do. So any thoughts about that? You know, hair color for me, I was, I'm reminded of a quote I heard recently. It was Chanel. You know, people would talk about Coco Chanel was an artist. And she would always say, I'm not an artist. I'm a dressmaker. And she happened to make one particular style of dresses and focused on one particular type of woman that would enjoy that clothing. And hair color to me is similar. I don't know that I consider myself an artist necessarily, more of a high-end technician, because it is combining the technical skill there is a creativity involved. And then the wild card is always what you're applying hair color to, the texture, the natural level, the gray. Uh, that's really the, the, the challenge. Uh, hair color is, is a best guess by most definitions. You know, we, we're working in the hypothetical with hair color, what's been passed on to us. We know formulas that seem to work really well. I always say, you know, 6N is your default for anything. A level six natural can do almost anything you need it to. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Did that answer where we were going? Yeah, yeah I, I think for me it did. Um, again, that analytical be- sounds like it's really the foundation for the creativity, that if you don't have that analytical thinking the way you described it um, and thinking all those parts and pieces, that serves sort of the foundation of the creative work that, that maybe it doesn't quite work. I'll go with my thought, which is there's a lot of analytical thinkers, people like you who are out there doing successful hair color. Well, I, I will admit that, you know, I started out as the creative hair colorist and that is, was a result of not having a strong foundation of education behind me yet. And as I grew up through the ranks and I trained under people and observed other powerful hairdressers doing beautiful color work, I learned And then I did a lot of research uh, online. I read a lot of textbooks, a lot of folks that have authored uh, hair color manuals as well as makeup manuals. We all remember things like, um, you know, uh, I'm a spring, I'm a fall. And it was sort of (laughs) those textbooks of what colors are best suited for skin type and and that sort of thing. But I, I learned that working with the chemists that I've had the privilege to hang out with, was taking a really complicated process and simplifying it, and then taking a really simple formula and learning how complicated it was to create as a cosmetic chemist. So there's a, there's a lot of intricacies with hair color. And I think today we need to sort of revisit the fundamentals of hair color and not from a boring way, but on a relevant way. You know, before you can do all of the fancy things like the unicorn colors and the ombre and the double process work, you really have to nail how to formulate, how to assess natural level, texture, condition, porosity, uh, what you're formulating for. And really, as I always say, respect the limits of the hair color that you're working with. That's great advice. That's that's really great advice. And and speaking of great advice, I, I want to ask you, knowing how many mentors and, and role models you've had in your professional life and the fact that you do get to hang around so many cool people, um, what is the best advice anybody's ever given you professionally and, and why you might think that be relevant to our audience? Oh, that's a good one, Gordon. I think something that stuck with me was uh, the following. Clients are not your friends. 
And I know that sounds a little harsh, but there is a we need to keep a a line in the sand. Uh, when you cross into more of a friendly territory, it becomes difficult to charge people. Uh, you feel badly if you can't come in early or stay late for someone. And I think it's about respecting sort of the patient doctor confidentiality. There's sort of a client salon pro um, perspective we have to keep in mind. Um, secondly, I would also say that the client is the star, not me. That's really relevant when I'm doing house calls on celebs or society or A-listers. Um, the attention needs to be on that man or that woman. You know, I'm there to provide a service and let them shine. You know, I can be fancy whenever I the door closes behind me, I'll call an Uber or, you know, take a car service home. But it, the client is the star. And that's something that I always keep in mind. Those are those are both really great pieces of advice. I think the first one, you know, th that line, you know, between friendship and professionalism is one that that so many people struggle with. And, you know, maybe it's the, the line between friendly and, and being a friend. I'm, I'm not sure. But again, with your history, personally, as a professional, like, was there an evolution in your thinking around this topic or any, any thoughts on how to not go the wrong direction? Yeah. You know, I, I crossed the line a couple of times, meaning I became too friendly or, you know, took a conversation to subject matter that was, you know, just too friendly. And, um, that became awkward. And the turning point, I remember it very clearly. I was still cutting hair at the time and I was trimming a woman's fringe and she had involved in, a, you know, a sort of a personal discussion with me. And I was being very open hearted with her and, and talking to her about personal stuff she was asking about me. And as I was trimming her hair in this conversation, she pulled back and said, you're not cutting my hair too short, are you? And it was at that moment that it clicked for me that her priority is her looking in the mirror and, and what she needs not necessarily to listen to my, all my woes. Mm -hmm. So I, I learned that early on. And from that moment, I sort of took a little arm's length. It's okay to be friendly with your clients, meet them for a drink, have, have they, they can have you over for the holidays, et cetera. But um, you just have to keep it in perspective. They're still paying me. And that's where I need to keep that. Again, great, great insights. Um, so let's talk about hair color specifically and, and trends and um, what what's happening. It's the most important service in a salon today, drives more dollars than any other service. It's certainly being paid attention to inside and outside the industry. So so what's what's happening? What's coming next? Boy, that's a that's a loaded that's a loaded question. You know, I, I think I would respond in a couple different ways. The first is hair color is on everyone's mind right now with Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, Facebook, it's everywhere. And if I use that as a snapshot, the unicorn colors or the mermaid colors are really the biggest trend that's pretty hot right now. We haven't quite, we're almost at the top of that crest and we haven't seen the decline or that trend sort of softening a bit. I think where we'll go next, if the A-listers or, or red carpet is any indication, Katy Perry, Kristen Stewart, uh, there is a short cropped look going on. And I think there's a function to that, which means after you've done all of this lightning and double process and all of these fun, great colors, you know, your hair just won't respond anymore. And the only thing you can do is probably cut it a bit shorter and let it rest for a while. So that would be the, the shorter cut perspective. 
and then letting it rest for a while. I think one of the classics that I always go back to is pretty girl hair. What's going to be amazing, soft, and pretty? A beautiful base, great highlights, strategically placed to show off the design, to show off her personality. You can never go wrong with. So I think that would be the next wave, but it's also a, it's the common denominator that, that we always see in the salon. The fun stuff is fun to engage in, but we can't step away from great coverage, great highlights, and how to maneuver demi-permanent colors to, to, tweak a, a fa- to tweak a tone, get rid of brassiness, that sort of thing, Gordon. So knowing what we are seeing online, and I'm sure you've experienced clients who come in and, and want something that professionally you're going, either it's not possible, practical, healthy, um, all kinds of reasons you might say, okay, wait a minute, I have to take this conversation in a different direction um, if I want to best meet the needs of this client. Any advice on how to deal with those kind of situations? Yes. Also a fantastic question. First is do your research. Look at Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, know what's out there. Look at before and afters. See if you can find formulas. See if you can find who did it. That information is kind of public domain these days follow that person, see their style of work. All of that will lead to giving you credibility when you have the conversation with the client of what's possible and what's not. I can speak from personal experience. February 13th, I did a double process blonde on myself and it took eight and a half hours to achieve my blonde. Oh my gosh. And I have short hair and I work in a salon with amazing colorists and I did this over two days And, uh, you know, I'm a natural medium brown. So to get the blonde that I wanted right, I call it vampire chic. It took multiple applications over several days to achieve that look. And I think that's a realistic conversation that we can have with clients. We can, if we agree on the direction, we can start the process today and then book subsequent appointments to get you where you're going. And I'm lucky, Gordon, you know, I, I talk to my clients about this and they, they believe my credibility and they listen to me. There's nothing more crazy than trying to squeeze into a 90-minute appointment what would normally take four hours. It's not fair to do to ourselves. You know, if you go in for a cleaning at your dentist and he says you need a root canal, he never says to you, you know what, sit down, let me just throw that root canal in for you right now. I've got, you know, 90 minutes before my next client. You know, you have to reschedule another appointment. You might have to take some antibiotics and do some prep work. And that's what we have to translate into the salon business as well. That is, that's such a great analogy. And now kind of relate that to, to pricing and, and income, because I think that's where so many people do get stuck. They, they want to perhaps go through something more quickly because the client is expressing maybe they either want it done more quickly or they can't afford multiple appointments. And, and again, I think people get blocked and perhaps leave money on the table um, from a revenue perspective. Thoughts around that? Yeah, that's that's a tricky one. In my in my fantasy, I would have a salon manager who would just simply tell me what work I was doing and then would itemize for the client at the end. You know, if you go to Cartier or Tiffany, if you buy three necklaces, it's three times the price, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. three individual things. That gets a little tricky to do the a la carte uh, for me. You know, I work on Fifth Avenue. My price point is is, you know, it's kind of high. And I do what I need to do to get certain services done. For example, if I need to glaze a set of highlights, that's 
part of the cost of me doing highlights. I don't charge additional for that. Now, I do know that other areas may do that a little bit differently. But just speaking in the first person, you know, you have to sit down as if you're buying a car. Okay, you want the air, you want the moonroof, you want um, floor mats, you know, it becomes an itemized. Do the math on that a la carte and then step back and think, where can I make this an affordable luxury for a woman and discuss the price and provide a range? You know, this may be between X and Y dollars. And I'm aware that you're on a budget, so I'll try to make it, you know, as fair as I can. But here is the range of this cost and here's why. You know, if you do that, although a little uncomfortable up front, you'll have more respect for yourself. You won't go home thinking, oh, I should have charged more. You know, she didn't even blink an eye at the price I gave her. You know, and you sort of end up self-hating yourself for not having a good strategy for that. Just to recap, you know, look at your pricing now. Look at it if you were doing multiple services, double process, glazing, highlights. Look at that figure and see if you can create like a prefix menu for that service. To achieve this look, it will require three services. Here's the retail add-on price, and then here's a figure that I can live with and that you can live with. That's what I do. That's what I do. I, I love the prefix idea. That's that's brilliant. And then, of course, uh, thrilled that you mentioned retail. And um, so let's have a little bit of that conversation because retail, you know, is is such an important component of taking care of your clients who are getting hair color. And again, I think the industry gets a little blocked around this. So what's your take on philosophically on retail as it relates to the color service and the client and, and any tips to, to make that thing work? Wow. You know, I am, I am prepared to have this conversation. It might be unpopular, but I really think this is where we're going. And I think it's a really huge place to go. Retail in salons has always been tricky. Some are amazing at it, others aren't. I think generally speaking, hairdressers don't love to sell. We've tried all the tricks over the decades about putting the product in front of the client and give her the best case scenario of the 10 products and she'll pick a few. That works to some extent. I do know a lot of salons count on retail as added income. They spiff their hairdressers with um, different percentages, etc. Having said all of that, I think the way of the future is a direct-to-consumer model that clients may purchase a few products for from you in the salon so that they have brand recognition, you teach them how to use it, and then they go online and they look for them. Now, where they find them, whether directly from the manufacturer or not, we're in a society now where direct-to-consumer is the way to go. Whether it's groceries, shampoo, if it can be delivered to your door, that's what clients really like. And if that is where we're going, it's really going to change the service industry and the retail to service ratio in salons. I think we're going to have to find another way to either make up those sales or or complement those sales because I think it's here to stay. Ooh, well, now you're getting into stuff I love to get all geeky and, and talk about. We won't have enough time on this podcast to dig too deep. 
But I, uh, you, you are definitely onto something. It's what's happening all around us. I was ordering some groceries uh, during lunch today on Amazon. So I am so with you. Um, and I, I have to say, you know, within the industry, you know, in, in the, the distribution platforms, we already see, um, I know that L'Oreal PPD and Salon Centric have an app um, that allows salons to offer products, direct sales online and get credit for that and get a commission, if you will, a percentage of the sale. So I think, you know, L'Oreal's recognized this is happening. Um, other big companies have, other distributors have, um, direct sales has been happening for a while. So I agree with you completely. It, it is absolutely here to stay. And um, I think brands recognize it and are doing their best to find ways to to be inclusive in those business models. You know what, Gordon, on that subject, uh, and I haven't figured this out, but a lot of salons, they have business programs in place where a junior stylist uh, climbing to the next level, et cetera, has a certain quota of retail products that they need to sell or the advancement or the percentage that one earns is based upon how much retail they sell. And if this trend sticks, I think a lot of those business programs will have to be looked at again to find other reward type programs or other uh, metrics in order to get uh, people to advance internally in salons. Well, I would think that it's never going to be, you know, one size fits all, you know, in terms of the, the model itself for retail, um, no matter what part of our economy, no matter what part of business we look at today, you know, there's, there's different models for different types of people, different types of customers. I'm sure the same is going to apply here, you know, amazon.com, which is, you know, the biggest, you know, direct selling online platform on the planet. They just opened a store in Chicago. So Amazon is going brick and mortar, which I, I, I haven't been over to the store yet, but I'm excited to get there soon. So um, again, I think where it works, it will probably continue and continue to work. But to your point, um, I think the majority of salons have struggled to make retail work. And that creates um, opportunities for new models to come in. And it certainly creates um, an interest perhaps in clients and getting their products in different ways. So fun and interesting conversation. So David, how long have you been doing what you do? How long have you been a cosmetologist and a hair colorist? I've been licensed for 31 years. Uh, I'm licensed in Pennsylvania and, and New York. And um, I've been with the L'Oreal Redken piece for 21 years. For the first 10 years, I was full-time and it was just about a year or so after Redken moved from Canoga Park to uh, Fifth Avenue. So there was a whole brand renovation. And I was in charge of the uh, Redken Exchange in education development. So I taught in every class that we did with all of the wonderful Redken artists. And uh, that was great for a few years. And then I was offered a position in Redken's global marketing department to head up uh, hair color development. So for the last part of my career, I uh, was responsible for developing the hair color and lighteners for, for Redken. So my signature was required for us to take product to market. And that really gave me phenomenal insight into the development role and uh, developed a really unique skill set as a result of that. So fast forward 21 years later, uh, here I am. For the younger folks who might be listening in, you've had this really long experience. You've not only had your own career, but you've been exposed to all kinds of professionals all over the world. If you had to speak to like pillars of success, like two, three big ideas that, you know, if you don't get these right, you know, perhaps you're not going to have the career you want. Um, speak a little bit about that. 
What comes to mind first is the lack of a well-defined purpose would be number one roadblock. You know, get into a salon, look around, see the people you're working with, partner with folks you like to mentor. But, you know, once you get a few months or a year under your belt, figure out what you want to do. Is it a powerful, busy hairdresser? Do you want to focus on color or design? Do you want to work for a manufacturer in some capacity? Do you want to do uh, agency work only and house calls and fashion styling? There's so much to do in this industry that it's overwhelming. And you need a quiet moment of meditation to really decide what you want to do. And then that becomes your focus. And all efforts go towards that. And all research goes towards that to make that happen. Secondly, the biggest thing for, I, I think, a lot of folks out there would be to be, to be patient. Uh, I think we're in a society where you think you're going to get out of school or get out of some uh, vocation and you're going to make $100,000 a year. And it's not, it's not going to happen. You just need to be patient. Be patient. Persevere. You'll go through tough times, but in the end, if you're focused, as I mentioned previously, then success will be yours. I, I love those. And um, I especially love the patience. As you say, uh, the world's become very fast paced, but I think we've always been impatient and when I think of, again, those who've really turned this industry into a platform for great lives, almost every one of them, you know, is in tune with, the, with those two big pieces of advice. So, so thank you for those. You know what, Gordon, I, I'm compelled to, to mention this too. You know, I've, I've been doing this 31 years and the younger folks that I work with, which are everyone under my age, you know, I, I've learned to embrace the technology I've learned to sort of use some of the lingo so that I can even the playing field. And I think the flip side would be a consideration if you're in the, you know, late teens to mid 20s age. I would encourage those folks to sort of manage up to those of us that have been around for a while. You know, look, I've learned how to get on Instagram. You know, you guys can learn how to be patient and uh, listen to constructive criticism. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) I I, I like that. I I especially like the term managing up. Um, In my jobs over time, I had a boss many, many years ago um, who said to me that would be one of the greatest challenges in my career. She said, as an executive VP who was above me in a position, she said, your biggest challenge will be managing up. And what that really meant was having the right communication with the person I was trying to convince to get something done. And to your point, you know, it, it, you're dealing with so many people and, and you do have to, in a sense, manage up, especially if there's a generational difference. And the same would apply to your clients. If you, if you don't have that ability to do what you just said as it relates to perhaps a, a client that is a different generation, you're not going to be as successful as you could. Well, and you know what really, this really came to life for me recently Um, You know, I travel a lot and I I go into a lot of salons and chat with people and I teach and do hands-on demos and all of that. Lately, when I go into salons, I'm nothing more than a moving image in front of the salon. So what I mean by that is because of YouTube, you know, a lot of folks are just, just used to staring at a screen and not really registering any kind of emotion or reaction. And I'm from the generation where, hey, you would, you know, chat with people, involve them in the process, 
you know, tell a joke, ask them to participate with you. And that's a real different subtlety today. You know, if people are just staring at you, it's uncomfortable for me, but it, I think it means that that's the new way of learning. <laughs> you know, it's the new way of like, hey, you know, you're just like a big, you're just like a big screen on my computer right now. It's it's challenging as for all my educator and artist friends out there, because folks don't register a response. You know, it's really hard to solicit a reaction from a group of people anymore. Well, you're competing with a lot. That's for sure. We, the, our lives are, are filled with with stimuli, if you will, visual, audio, you know, um, and, and the things we touch and feel. So it, it's a it's a very competitive environment. So I, I I hear what you're saying, and and speaking of education, because it is so important. And again, one of those pillars of success. Um, as an educator, what advice would you have? to those who are trying to find the time, trying to find the money, trying to, to find a way to build their careers? What, what, what role does education play in that? And, and what advice would you have? Well, education's mandatory for everything we do in life, you know, whether it's working on ourselves or a career path. I always suggest to find a mentor, maybe ask them of some materials they've read or where they've gained their insight. Personally, I go to websites of all the hair color companies, both consumer and professional. And I take a look at the personality of their website. I dig around. They all have very interesting stories. They may speak on certain ingredients of their products that they have or they don't have. You can look at color charts. You can get a sense of what they call copper from brand to brand. So for me, it's education. It's looking on demand. Redken has a great education on demand a uh, porthole on the website where you can find out about product and techniques. You can follow a lot of the artists on Instagram. Everyone is a star now. Everyone does before and afters and fast videos on Instagram. You know, that's where that's where a lot of both my inspiration and my own education comes from. And it sticks with me. And I think, you know what, I'm going to give that a try. That's kind of cool. You know, I, I, that might save me time or might produce a result that I want. But you got to know that it exists out there first. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're, you just spin it in your own head and you don't get anywhere. Well, there's also, you know, I think adding to that point, finding a way to filter yourself to get to the good stuff relevant to whatever it is you're looking for. It goes back to your goals, you know, um, you know, having goals around education, having goals around the content you're finding, and then, and then having goals, I hope, that connect to live education as well. So it's, it's just not all on the phone, um, but the phone is a great resource if you have a break, if you're in between clients, if you're standing in line at Starbucks and hopefully listening to a podcast with David Stanko um, or any of the other things you can be doing. But live education, and I'm so glad you're still out on the road, I think it's still the gold standard. Yeah, I agree. Nothing will replace a for real conversation. Uh, you know, hey, I have a client and, you know, this and that has happened to her. What do you think went wrong? You know, to exercise that muscle in your brain that forces you to critically think and then to import that into your creativity and solve some problems cannot be taken away can't be taken away as a useful tool, but can only happen on live one-to-one -one interaction and education. So anyone who's listening, please go to your local distributor, sit in on a class, invite people into your salon that will do a product knowledge or a technique class, and certainly hit any of the major shows that are out there. Uh, you can network, you can take pictures with people and post it. 
But most importantly, you can sit through education. You can talk to all of us, you know, educators and all of the guest artists. We love it when people chat with us, you know, take a moment, come up, ask a question, take a picture. We'll, you know, we'll follow each other. That's where the education piece really is happening today. And you mentioned beauty shows, you know, big beauty shows. I think there's nothing perhaps as powerful, you know, during the year than the opportunity to be at one of the big beauty shows. There's a mirror image of the industry. Um, I bump into way too many professionals who say, oh, I'm skipping a show this year. And why? Well, I went last year. And, and I, I can't help but think, it's like, oh my God, there's, there might be a hundred different classes you can pick from if you don't have a budget to go shopping this year. And that's not your reason to be at a show, which is for so many, you know, kind of a focal point. Just go and sit in the classroom all day for two days. Um, you, you won't beat the price. You won't beat the lineup of educators from diverse brands all in one place at all at one time. And for a lot of us who've been around for a while, if we do nothing but network for two days and don't even go to shop or go in a classroom. The networking opportunities are insane. And I always see you at shows. So um, any thoughts about the beauty show experience and, and taking it to a different place? Yeah. You know, figure out what you want to do. Uh, I was at the New York show. I got out of the cab and I tripped over everyone bringing their suitcases because they wanted to buy equipment. You know, that's what some people go for. I get inside and I like to float around and see all of the speakers on the stage and find out what they're doing, whether it's a you know flat iron tool or a keratin straightener or hair extensions or eyelashes. I stop and talk to everybody. You know, what's your product about? Give me, you know, give me the 411 on that. And then secondly, I look at the roster of the breakout classes and find out, you know, gives me a chance to sit down, gives me a chance to get off the show floor, and then opens my eyes to other educators in so many different categories. I really enjoy the business programs. I like to hear how other people run their business, how they become successful, do's and don'ts. And that to me, that feeds my soul and, and gives me a sense of fulfillment and I can go home happy. And again, I'll use that as a perfect example. I mean, you could, and especially, you know, if you're not getting a lot of business education in the salon you're at, or if your distributor doesn't have quite what you need, you could literally go to any of the big beauty shows, make yourself a business building and career building curriculum out of the program, take five, 10 classes over the course of two days, completely focused on the goal of upping your game as a business person, as a, as a professional. So I, I love that kind of reference point. But Gordon, you, you know, one needs to be focused in order to do that. You know, you, and that again goes back to my have a well-defined purpose. You know, um, no one's going to just throw education at you. You do have to look for it a bit on your own. It does, you need to have business as part of your portfolio mix to be successful today in the salon world. And they riff a little more on this beauty show thing. I, I think it's also about planning the event. You know, ideally you go online now, you can get the whole program before you even get to the show. You can see everything that's there. Um, I love the way you talked about going out on the floor, you know, walking that show floor. You know, if you do have a purpose, if you, if you show up at a show to find out what the new trends are, as you mentioned, to find out what the new tools are, if you give yourself that goal. Um, I, I love when I see friends who are at a show with a team and I see them at lunch sharing what they've each learned in different classes, what they've seen and, and kind of having that, you know, download of information with their peers, you know, that can be really valuable. Yeah. The social media piece, you know, it's, it's a big animal and I think a lot of us have nailed it on a personal level, but there's all sorts of tips and tricks in the business of beauty 
and social media, you know, what to do, how to hashtag, where to post, how to build your following. You know, those are stuff that instead of doing guesswork, go listen to someone. Gordon, you do talks on that all the time. And I think it's pretty fascinating to hear your insight on that subject. It's, you know, it's, it's big and it's, it's at all the shows. You're right. It's another opportunity. So again, if someone's not sure why to go to a show or, or what to do while at a show, um, there's never been as much information and education available on social media. And it's, it totally is, is transforming the industry. So that, again, that's, that's another, you know, fantastic insight. One more thing on social that because you just sparked me when you said, you know, that we've figured it out personally and there's so much to learn professionally. I, I hear a lot of salon owners in particular, you know, who kind of dig at social media and, you know, oh, that's the thing that people do on their phones that interrupts their day or they're watching cats or, and I, I love what you said about the personal because to me, the metaphor is that, um, we think of the old school way of being in the salon. We understand the difference between personal conversations and professional conversations. And we, we educate staff and we educate ourselves on how to speak to the client from behind the chair in a professional context. And I, I love that as a metaphor for social because we kind of grow up with social media first personally. We do it with families. We do it with friends. And the, the trick is how do you transfer that? to the practices, like you said, the hashtagging, all those things. But also, you know, how do you learn to present yourself professionally in a social context the same way you would in real life? Yeah, you know, that that makes me laugh, Gordon. I think I'm just going to side note this. It makes me think of like dating apps, right? The crazy pictures that people put on their dating apps, the crazy information. Imagine if that was what we walked past on our daily life, Right. If you walk past someone at a bus stop or in a restaurant and they were actually the shirtless torso or, you know, something random. Uh, so I think you have to present yourself on social media the way your best self is presented in a business world. Identify who you are as a brand and let everything speak to that. You know, I've taken the position on my social media as more of a lifestyle and then hair. So I combine the two. But my lifestyle stuff is scenes of New York. You know, I just got a snapshot of this this great crazy dancer at Union Square Subway today. You know, it gives people insight into the New York experience. But I also post technical stuff, techniques, uh, videos of how to. So that's the mix for me. If if you look at your own social media and there are the kids and soccer practice and a couple ran random beauty shots then that's probably not a professional Instagram page or Instagram feed. So you might want to reel that back a little bit, showcase your clients, showcase before and afters, salon scenes. That's probably going to generate more clients for you than, you know, your new car or something more personal. That's great advice. Thank you for that. That's that's spot on. So we're going to begin to wrap up. So I I always ask everybody this question, and, and that is, what are you reading, listening to, viewing, and or obsessing about these days? Anything you can share with the audience that they might find as an inspiration? Well, yes. Um, obsessing over YouTube right now. Mm. Uh, you know, it's the second largest search engine, I think, out there next to Google. Yes, it is. And I, I'm... I'm I'm obsessing over things like epic pranks, you know, I just <laughs> love the pranking stuff. It, it makes me laugh, you yep. know, I, I can tune into TV to get world news and sort of that snapshot. But from a little levity, I like YouTube. Uh, I also like certain influencers on YouTube. I follow their channels. 
Um, and it helps inspire me for my own personal branding. So I'm, I would say right now it's YouTube. And uh, I'm also fascinated on YouTube with all of the drag queens. I, am- <laughs> <laughs> I love it. No, it's true. You know, the makeup that these drag queens do is I am just awe-inspired how the transformation takes place. And it also gives me a really great sense of color, shading, highlighting, bringing out a good feature, calming down another feature. When you see it so first degree on something like that, it's to me, it inspires me behind the chair. I, I, it sounds weird, but you know what? Everyone should go check it out and see if they're turned on to it or not. No, I, I love that. And it, it, it's a great tip. And I, I'm sure a lot of those who are listening follow, you know, some of the, the makeup boys. Um, Jeffrey Starr being one of the biggest. Um, follow him as well on Instagram and have, have caught some of the YouTube. And uh, interesting on so many levels. And, and to your earlier point, you know, the branding, to watch how, because these are people who are very business-minded, um, I believe. Um, those who've, ta- who've really grown. And it's fascinating to watch how um, committed they are to the way they present themselves and the way they brand themselves. It is a commitment. If you want to get to the sponsorship level, you know, you have to have a consistent release of your pieces. You have to consistent image and people will come to you. I mean, that's that's a very dedicated process. I admire those folks. So let's end by telling people how they can find David Stanko online, on social. Um, share that with us. So it's Facebook forward slash David Stanko. And Instagram is the, T-H-E, the David Stanko. And whatever I post on Instagram hits my Twitter feed, Facebook, and of course on Instagram. So everybody make sure you go out there and follow David Stanko across all those platforms. David, thank you so much for being on the American Salon Stories podcast today. We appreciate you so much. You're a brilliant colorist, Redken educator, artist, um, and importantly, um, dedicated to this industry. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, American Salon. Gordon, you're the best. See you at another show. And we'll be back next week with another American Salon Stories podcast. In the meantime, we hope you'll follow us on Instagram, where we are known as at American underscore salon, also at facebook.com forward slash American Salon. That's all one word. And of course, on americansalon.com, where you can also subscribe to our free newsletter, Your Daily Beauty Fix. This is American Salon publisher Gordon Miller, and I can't wait to bring you more American Salon Stories next week. 